in and out. So worst comes to worst, we'll shut that thing off and I'll yell loud, but it looks like we're okay for now. Uh, don't use the keyboard today because that seemed to be it as well. And we changed out the pulpit mic. So prayers for that. We're probably headed towards needing to replace that system at some point, but pray that if there is just little adjustments we can make that we'll be able to get all that figured out. I don't have a lot for you in ways of announcements this morning, but do we have copies of last week's bulletin on the back table? Okay, um, but we, or you can always look on the church website if you missed some of the announcements. We added several events, but this Wednesday night we'll be starting a brand new Bible study verse by verse through the book of James. I'm excited about that. Got to do a little mapping out of hopefully what we'll be looking at as we go along through that series. And then next Sunday morning we're going to have a men's breakfast at Poor Richard's Cafe right around the corner at 8.30 a.m. So I know it's a little early and people drive from different directions, and some may not be able to make it, but I know we have at least three so far that have committed to come, so if any of the men would like to show up and just share in a good time of food and fellowship or have any questions or things on your heart or things you need prayer for, we'll just try to share in a good time of fellowship one with another, whoever would like to come out and make it. And I believe that's all that I have this morning. We should keep moving and get to the preaching here pretty soon, but as we all know, we've seen in our church and in different places, uh, nationally, a lot of people are getting sick right now, and we had a lot of people who were coming and coming, and then we missed some for a few weeks in and out for various reasons. So in just a moment, I'll ask Pastor Jay is going to come say a special word of prayer that for a time of healing uh, in our nation, that we would have unity. We saw what happened yesterday in Colleyville with the hostage situation there at the synagogue that thankfully ended with none of the hostages being injured or hurt. Everyone was okay, but we need the Lord's hand upon our land. We need physical healing. We want to ask prayer for Brother Darren, who is feeling better this morning, but had some flu-like symptoms over the weekend, so they've been uh, one of the ones that have missed a few services, but are watching from home this morning. So we want to say a prayer for him especially, and then if anyone remembers, Brother Tom McLaughlin is extremely sick and in critical condition right now, a member of the church from a long time ago, so they asked if everyone would please pray for him. And so, Pastor, if you'd come now and pray for all of these things, and then it's not the offering next. We have a song following this. But if you'd go ahead and pray right now, and then Jason. Yes, sir. I love you all. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and, and what's on my heart to pray is, first of all, uh, what Pastor asked for, for people. Um, it reminds me of souls and salvations uh, that could sit among us, but specifically the outbreak of sicknesses and illnesses uh, that have kept people out of church in touch with COVID. Uh, think of uh, uh, Noel and Ronnie and the families and uh, uh, out a couple weeks either because come in close contact or so forth. Uh, I know uh, Dale and Pam, I know uh, Darren uh, have been ill. Uh, oh, Lord, so one uh, many of us get sinus and different troubles and wonder uh, if it's more. So I want to thank you and praise you, Heavenly Father, that uh, how you keep us, how even if we were ill or not ill, how you take care of us as long as you want us on this earth to use our life. Um, for your love to flow through us to you and uh, through us to each other, loving each other as uh, 
we love ourselves, love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm praying for the power of God on Pastor Jack in his preaching. I shall never forget uh, anybody walks through these doors. Think of the woman come through a, a month ago or so, two months, and uh, had cancer at 28 to 31, was bedridden for so long they thought she'd die. But I, I come to Tom McLaughlin, the longest standing bus captain in this church, uh, 10 to 15 years. Hyro was uh, one of his first riders. Lord, it's endless how you use each person's here life to touch another. And then how we cannot give you the more we give to reach out to another with a smile, with love, with prayers as we are praying for those who are sick, and that's what Pastor Jack asked for. Lord, heal uh, those that come to this congregation and are a part or what, that uh, you can use them, and in, in, in including me, that we can be fed, that uh, we can be strengthened, and uh, uh, Lord, remove the hindrances and use us more and more as we come to the end uh, um, days and see how much of this is prophecy, even these illnesses, the cashless society as the mark of the beast is Satan's agenda. We glorify thee when the, we see these things, Father. Um, we think of you coming to get us in the rapture, but we think of how more and more and more in our mind and hearts it reminds us you're true and i beg you i plead uh, <laughs> in the later uh winter time of my life lord from the youngest to to the oldest use us more use us on these days open the windows of heaven and pour out the blessings of thy holy spirit and love and power and thank you for your provision in every way too and I want to go on and on, but I pray, pray Lord, you'll, you'll bless the miracles and the faithfulness of each one here and how you use them. Jason's another one. Karen, Rachel, away at college, has been used so much. Dear Father, bless that girl and the others that work with the music or, or sing uh, Jason's children. I don't know who I left out, uh, Melissa, so forth, Lord. May you receive all the glory and love, and it's amazing how you take us as sinful vessels. Forgive us our sins and fully empower us to do what you want done for the day. Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus, and uh, the wisdom we need to keep a sound mind and for your power to flow through us. Again, please bless us. Uh, as we're all caught upon to pray and serve the power of the Holy Spirit upon Pastor Jack to bring the word of God and that we may be fed for we love thee so, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor, for uh, praying for those, those needs. He mentioned a couple times in that prayer that God would use us and that we would uh, serve him. Uh, next, we got a, a praise chorus time song. Is is sure. next? Okay, uh, page number ten in your praise chorus booklets. You can remain seated. Let's go ahead and sing through this twice this morning. I will serve thee. I 
I will serve Thee, because I love Thee. You have given life to me. I was nothing before you found me. You have given life to me. Heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Your touch was what I longed for. You have given life to me. Once more, I will serve thee because I love thee. You have given life to me. I was nothing before you found me. You have given life to me. Heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Your touch was what I longed for. You have given life to me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We look good on the live stream, Brother Dill, from what you can see. Okay, praise the Lord. So hello to the Jones on the live stream, and they look forward to hopefully being back here next week, and Darren's feeling a little bit better. And uh, any update on Skip? Have you heard anything from her? She will probably be going to rehab on Tuesday. Okay. All right. Well, praise the Lord that that has looked as good as it has. And then the only other thing I forgot to mention is a few of us, a few of us will be up here Tuesday doing a bit of a work day at the church. So I just throw that out in case anyone had a flexible work schedule that wanted to check with me and pop in or out throughout the day. But pretty soon we've gotten the works to get some new carpet on the platform and then to replace all of these ceiling fans with brand new ones. So if you want to appreciate how nice the new ones look, take a look at the old ones now. So we'll be able to remember because we'll replace them, then everybody will say, I don't even remember what the other ones look like, but I do think that they will look a lot better. So let's have a word of prayer for the time of the offering. Heavenly Father, as we move to the offering now and then the time of the preaching, we pray that our hearts would be prepared. I pray you would help me this morning to be filled with your spirit, to have mental clarity, and to get the message across as you would have it to come, and bless the gift and the giving. Thank you for being so faithful to meet our needs. As always, please continue to financially and in every other way, bless and take care of meet the needs of this church and of all who attend it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Good job, Lily. Okay, again, thank you. Thank you for letting me know that and let me know if we have any other issue or if anyone sees on the live stream that we've got an issue. I know people are watching. We'll try and keep this up to date. And if you would just pray throughout the week that we get this sound system sorted out. I'm not sure if I had something wrong on my mic or if we've just got a problem, but thank you for letting me know that. And if y'all would just help back there, Jason, Beck, and Joe, keep an eye on everything. Let me know if there's any other adjustment that we need to make. But thank you for letting me know that. So last week, we talked about Matthew chapter 25, and as we covered a few of the verses about the servant who went away for a long time and let the master traveled away for a long time and left his servants with different talents and gave them the responsibility to manage those talents for him. Talent has to do with a weight or a measurement. It was a way to measure out money. So the one was given two talents. The one was given five. The other was given one. It was different amounts of money, like a weight of silver or gold. And they had the responsibility to be wise with that and to manage it for the master. The entire point that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 25 was he was still responding from Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, when his disciples asked him, when would the temple be destroyed? What would be the sign of Jesus coming 
and of the end of the world. And Jesus talks to them about the end times a lot in Matthew chapter 24. Then when he gets to chapter 25, he tells two parables. The first we talked about last week, being of the ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and had oil representing the saved, and five of them were unwise and did not have the oil, which we think represents the Holy Spirit, and they in that parable would represent the lost. Then there came a moment when the bridegroom came. They all knew that they were supposed to be ready, but at midnight, when they all were asleep, without a two-minute warning, without a day's warning, said at midnight, the cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And the point Jesus was making to his disciples is that he wanted them to know two different truths. The first one being that he was not going to set up his kingdom and rule and reign on the earth right at that moment, but rather he was going to ascend to heaven and leave them busy with the work of the gospel. The second truth he wanted them to know is that he could come back at any moment and they were supposed to be ready. So the master in the parable goes away for a long time, but he comes back within the lifetime of those servants that he gave the talents to. And at a moment they weren't expecting, he returns to see what they have done with the opportunities that he gave them. So I don't want to redo the whole thing of next week. So as I said, we kind of dropped off right in the middle and I'll kind of try to get back on track of where I was in the message talking about the idea of being faithful. And what I said last week was I just kind of wanted to talk to us as a church family and try to refocus us here at the beginning of the year of what is the biblical definition of a church. What has God commanded us to do and to bring it around to the point that being found faithful in doing what God has told us to do is the key to success and is the key to pleasing God. Because we cannot control the results and how much we get with what we do, but we can control our actions. We can control that we work hard and that we are found faithful. So as I was studying for this message, I began to consider and ponder and look into the definitions and what the Bible means by the different words faith, faithful, and faithfulness. So last week at the close of the message, that's where we'll pick up. We were talking about the biblical definition of faith. It means persuasion, credence, moral conviction, and belief. So if I have faith in something, I'm declaring that I have complete and utter trust and confidence in someone or something. As Christians, we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ himself. That's where our confidence is found. We put it in God. We are not hoping against hope. When we say that we have faith, we're not saying, well, God's never showed up before. He's never shown any evidence before that he can do it. But this time, I'm just hoping that God will do it. No, Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I've never seen God face to face. I've never spoken to him and him speak back in an audible voice. But I see evidence and substance all around me that points to the fact that God is real and that his word is true and that I would be foolish not to put my faith in the Bible and my faith in God. 
And I'll point this out. You are forced to put your faith in something. The agnostic or the atheist is forced to say, I look at creation, I look at the evidence, and I put my blind faith in the fact that this world came about by accident and that there is not a true God that I must believe in. And I would much rather have my faith in God than in the process of evolution or to even consider for a moment that this earth could have come about by accident. Our common sense and wisdom that God has created us with tells us there must be a designer who designed this wonderful creation. And that right there is enough to start someone out on the path of finding God. It's not enough to be saved to say there is a creator and I must seek him. But it's enough to start us on the journey of seeking God. And I believe that if we seek the one true God, God will reveal himself to us because he wants us to have opportunities for salvation. Hebrews 11 gives us example after example of faith that God told Abraham to go out and to go to the promised land. But he didn't tell him where the promised land was. He just said, start going. And there we have an example of faith that he believed God and started on the journey, not knowing where it would take him. And over and over again in that chapter, it points to examples like Moses and Enoch and different people who all had this one great common denominator. They had faith in God, and through their faith, God brought about many mighty works in their life for their good and for the glory of God. Faith is not something that we simply possess or that we set on a shelf like we would a trophy or that we express our faith only on Sunday morning when we come within the walls of the church. The scripture says about three different times, the just shall live by his faith. Those who are justified in the eyes of God are those who show the characteristic of living by faith. To have faith is simply to say, God has said it, and even though I may not be able to fully understand it or grasp it or see it all right now for myself, I believe it. And we declare as a church and as Christians, no matter what anybody else says, I believe God. Let God be true and every man a liar. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe that in the Trinity and that God is the creator of all there is. What is faith? Faith simply says, I believe God. Faith says, I will do what God has told me to do. And faith says, I will do so trusting that God will keep his word. That if I do what God told me to do, God will then do what he already promised he would do through the action of me obeying him. I believe God. I believe he will do what he says. Therefore, I put that into action by obeying him. That is faith. We consider that in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus was instituting the local church, which is what we're trying to carry out here this morning, that he turned to Peter and said unto him, thou art Peter, a small stone, but upon this rock, we believe Jesus said, referring to himself, Christ said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
We're here this morning believing that this idea of a local church where we assemble together for the preaching and teaching of the word of God, where we fellowship one with another, where we share each other's burdens and pray for each other, where we give to support the local work and the work of missions. We believe that this is not a man-made idea. We believe that we're not simply here because we think it's a good idea equal to other ideas. We're here because we believe Jesus Christ instituted the church and it's biblical and it's the only institution that exists in the world today that God promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A ministry to have a college and educate people or to work with the poor and teach them how to do better with their money. Those are good things. Charities are good things. But they do not have the divine promise of God that the local church has when Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's been pointed out that a gate is a defensive mechanism. You don't attack someone with a gate. You rather try to defend yourself with a gate. So the word picture there, many believe that Jesus is saying is that as we as a church aggressively go forth, carry out the mission he gave us, give the gospel. It's as if we are attacking the gates of hell and we are promised we will have victory and that we will not be defeated. The local church will not be. We know, and we'll talk about this morning, that some individual churches close their doors, and that happens all the time. But this idea of local assemblies, autonomous, independent churches following their leadership as they follow the Lord is a biblical idea that has the promise of divine perpetuity that no other institution shares. Jesus said, I will build my church I believe this morning that we are here by faith. We're here because we believe that the local church where we assemble for the preaching of the word of God and those other things that I just mentioned are contained within the pages of the New Testament, instituted by God, carried out by the apostles and given to every generation after that to carry on this work of preaching the word and sharing the gospel. We're here by faith because we believe it's biblical. I don't think that there's probably not a one of us here this morning that at least some part of our flesh, it would appeal to us to just stay home on Sunday morning to say, you know what? It was 28 degrees when my alarm clock went off this morning and that warm bed felt pretty nice. And you know what? Maybe I'll just go out on the boat when it's summertime and maybe I'll just listen to some preaching out there and maybe I'll just always be home in time for the early kickoff of the game or go to brunch with the people who don't go to church. And to even begin to explain to someone who does not know the Lord and who has no church background, well, what do you do with all of your Sunday mornings? Well, I get up early, I go to church I take my tithes and offerings and I give them away to the Lord and I sit on a pew and I listen to some guy talk to me for about an hour. They would say, well, well, why? What are you getting out of that? What is the point? The point is we believe that this was instituted by Christ himself. We believe that it's biblical. We're here by faith because we believe the word of God teaches that we should be here. And so we choose to do it. So here we are in January of 2022, coming through a couple of interesting, is one mild way of putting it, interesting years in our country. Political divisions, hatred, sickness, national sins, 
And the question we could ask is for us as a church body, what are we supposed to be doing? How do we build the church? How do we grow? How do we make this place into what we would like it to be? A pastor was introduced one time at a conference to be the speaker, and he pastored a church of thousands and thousands of people. And the man who was introducing him said, the greatest church builder in the world is here tonight, and he's here to preach for us. And the man got up to preach, and he said, well, the greatest church builder is here tonight, but it's not me. Because Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. And we believe that God is here with us. We believe what God would have us to do is simply to be biblical and to be faithful and to follow his leading day in and day out and trust him to build his church and not be frustrated if we think we're not achieving what we would like to because we know that ultimately it belongs, the responsibility belongs to God to fulfill his promise, though we have a lot to do. America is quickly becoming what we would call a postmodern Christians. I, I'm sorry, a postmodern country. 65% of Americans claim to be some form of Christian. And we do have a lot of advantages by living in America, by having a lot of freedoms, and by people who may not know the Lord, a lot of those 65% may not actually be born-again Christians according to what the Bible says we must be saved. We know that no doubt large percentages of those identify as Christian culturally, but may not know the Lord. But at the same time, that still gives us an advantage. When people go around wearing the symbol of a cross, that's a starting point that we can have a conversation with them. Even if they only identify as Christian in a social sense, that may give us a door to point them to the Bible and to what Jesus actually said about the way of salvation. But that number in polling of 65% of Americans saying, yes, I identify as a Christian, is down 10% in the last 10 years. So 10 years ago, 75% of our citizens said, I identify as Christians. Now, 10 years later, 65% say so. At that exact same rate in about 16 years, and that's assuming it doesn't continue to decline faster, which may happen, within 15 or 16 years to identify as a Christian, you may be in the minority in America. What I'm saying is we may be headed towards that type of society that we see in Europe, where in the land of England, Charles Spurgeon was a, one of the greatest preachers we think that the world has ever known. His sermons still in print every week, but in England, they're spiritually dead to a large degree about the things of Christ. In Canada and in many European nations, the laws have already been passed that you cannot go out into a public place and try and talk to someone about the gospel. If you preach from your pulpit or on a radio ministry that marriage is between one man and one woman and any other form of activity in that area is sinful, you can be fined and then you can be fined again and then you can stand before the judge and it's up to the judge whether or not you go to prison or what your penalty will be for simply preaching what the Bible says. Today in the United Kingdom, they say that only around 7% of the population attends church on a weekly 
basis. We're still in America. We're still in the South. The numbers are still a lot higher than that. But what we see day by day is evidence that in a culture that is preaching to the children that they were evolved, that God did not create them, that human life should not be valued and doesn't matter. And there is no biblical moral code of worldview system that we should live by. We see wickedness being celebrated. We see the traditional values that we would call traditional values that center around biblical truths being held by less and less of those around us. And many in America, churches before COVID and then accelerated by COVID have declined in numbers or have closed their doors. I've heard it said by older pastors that as they talk to people, they can hardly talk to a single church that has not been impacted negatively in some way by where they were before COVID to where they were after. In 2007, there was a survey taken where people, again, said, what is your religious identification? And Christians outnumbered those who said they had no religious affiliation five to one. So you understand what I'm saying? A certain amount of people responded to the survey with, they would call them nuns, meaning N-O-N-E. I have no religious affiliation at all. Christians outnumbered them five to one, according to statistics gathered in 2007. Now, just 14 years later, Christians still outnumber those who say they have no religious affiliation, but the number is only two to one instead of five to one. That's rapid. That's going down quickly. And throughout 2020, the question has also been asked in our mind and raised, how much longer will we have religious liberty? How much longer will we be completely untouched by the Constitution and saying that, that, that Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of religion and us carrying out our faith? And I'm going to try to not get sidetracked, but, but the examples are just there, whether it's John MacArthur's church in California where they ordered him to stop and they came into his church and into Paul Chapel's church while he was preaching in California and the health inspectors came up and said, sorry, we're just doing what we were told to do. We were told to go to your church and John MacArthur's church. And while you're up there preaching, they're taking pictures of every person and writing down names so that they could have the ability to find those people who were not obeying the local orders. And by the way, almost every time it was not a law that was passed. It was somebody who came up with some type of executive order all by themselves that said churches can't meet. You can go to Walmart, you can go to these places, but you can't go to church. And I'm not trying to make light of the fact of COVID and the people who have been sick and the people who have died. And I said from the beginning, all of you pray about it. See what it, it what, what people, the experts are saying and make your own decision for yourself. And I respect it. And if someone says I need to stay home because of my health and watch the live stream for a while, then you do that. Okay. I'm not criticizing. I want you to make that decision. But what I'm saying is that out in Las Vegas, they said, well, here's our new COVID restrictions in Nevada. They said casinos can fill to 25% capacity, but churches can have no more than 50 people. Even if you have a 3,000 seat auditorium, no more than 50 people were allowed to go to the church, but hundreds and thousands could gather within the casinos. In these cases of whether or not in your business you have the freedom to choose to decline to participate 
in a wedding that is not biblical. Oftentimes they've come down to the vote of one judge or another. And sometimes they've gone in the wrong way. And what I'm saying is we simply don't know how much longer in our minds we will have complete liberty to serve the Lord without some form of persecution. Which, by the way, should not be a surprise to us. If we have read our Bible, if we know what happened to the first century church, if we know what is predicted to come in the end times, Jesus never promised that we would have nothing but blue skies to roller skate into heaven and serve him with only being blessed financially and in every other way. We believe we follow the Lord in a long line of people who were burned at the stake and fed to lions, yet said we will not deny the truth of what the word of God says. So we look at the climate, we look around us, and we ask the question, what do we do? What is our strategy supposed to be? And what I want to call our attention to as a church this morning and remind us and hopefully set the tone for the year is that we be biblical above all and that we be faithful. Is that we not be worried first and foremost about what's popular or what would turn us into the biggest church, but rather what is biblical What does the word of God say we are to be as a church? And then as we follow the Bible and work as God has commanded us to work, we trust that Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. We have opportunities. We talked about last week that, oh man, this may be a three-parter. I don't know. This is a long sermon. But in Matthew 25, we talked about the fact of the talents and what the talents represented in our, what they represent to us in our life is opportunities. It may be money like the talents were in the parable. It may be talents as in abilities, the way that we use the word today. It may be life. It may be health. It may be the light that we have received opportunities to witness to others around us. What it represents in the parable is opportunities and we have opportunities to serve the Lord. Some of us more than others, some of us less, whatever your age is, whatever your health is, however much you've been taught in the word of God. If you're here this morning and you have breath in your body, God has given you opportunities to faithfully serve him with your life. And I believe that God has given us last year and will continue this year as a church to give us opportunities and that he desires for us to be found faithful so that we may reap whatever he wants us to reap out of the harvest of souls around us. Here, I'll give you a few more statistics. This brings it in a little bit more local. The Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is expected to have the to lead population growth over the next decade. Of anywhere, any metro area in the United States, the next 10 years, we are expected to grow the most. That's big. That's a lot of area because that's considering all the way to Fort Worth and beyond. But just the same, in 2018, the entire Oklahoma City metro area had 1.4 million people approximately as their population. Within the next 10 years, that exact same amount of people is expected to move into the DFW area over that short amount of time. Part of the fallout of what has happened in some of these states where people were told you're not allowed to open your business and they lost their business and they're putting in more laws as to this has to happen to your child if they even want to go to school and people aren't liking that is they're moving. 
And sure, they're moving to a lot of different places and a lot of them are moving to Florida, but a lot of them are also moving to Texas. And part of it to me is frustrating because I think we have plenty of people here already and it already takes forever to get on the road and to drive to wherever it is you want to go. But now let's consider Collin County. Let's bring it a lot more local. It's been, it's approximated that right now we have about 1.035 million people in the county. By 2050, it's estimated we will have between 2.4 million or even some estimates as high as 3.5 million people. Double or triple the amount of people are going to be populating this county over the next 30 years is the estimate. And as we're caught up in the busyness of it, maybe we're thankful because that means we should be able to work. The economy is pretty good. All of these people will need goods and services. Maybe we're frustrated because with the labor shortages, you can't even walk in the store and get out. And there's so much traffic on the roads. Let's remind ourselves that every single person we see represents a soul who will spend eternity somewhere. The cars we passed on the highway, the amount of people standing in line to go into the Christmas attraction, the apartment complexes, the neighborhoods. Everyone we see has a soul that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be families who will move into this area who will need a good church, who will pro- who might be looking for a church that is traditional and that has sound biblical preaching and isn't just about the show. And what I believe that God wants us to do is simply be faithful day in and day out in the things that he has called us to do so that we may be there and be ready when he chooses to bless us with some reaping of the harvest. I've been preaching full-time here for coming up on just about a year. And that first Sunday, I said, we think, what is our strategy to grow the church? What do we want to do to try and see more people come? And I said, this may not be very exciting or new, but I believe our strategy should be preach the word, witness, give the gospel, love people, Fellowship as a church family. Love everyone who comes. Work as hard as we can work. Be as creative as we think God wants us to be. And then lastly, trust God with the results. We can't save anyone's soul, but we can warn them and let them make the decision as to whether or not they will respond to the gospel. We want to be ready. We want to be faithful and then trust God with the results. There's two things that we can consider. We need to invite people to church. And then there's what are we inviting them to? And what we want to invite them to, we want to be as biblical as possible. And as you could say, good or as quality as possible. We want to make sure that the buildings are as clean as they can be, that we practice the music, that when I'm getting ready to preach, I don't, I don't do what admittedly I have to do sometimes, but hopefully don't do all the time is pull out that Saturday night special where you're trying to scramble and what can I talk about tomorrow? But hopefully walk with God throughout the week and plan and prepare and be ready that no matter how many people come, no matter who shows up and whether people watch on the live stream or not, that we're ready to proclaim the word of God to the best of our abilities. I believe that results come from being faithful. It's January and a lot of people think about fitness and trying to get into good shape, but results come in that area from being faithful. 
If you want to learn a new language or a new skill, the results come from being faithful from day by day, week in and week out, applying yourself and over time, seeing the results that you want to see because good things do not come overnight. Results come from hard work over time. That is the laws that God has ordained and the way that he has created this universe. And in this past year and going forward, I pray for many, many years, my life, many hours per week, I'm trying to spend in the area of preparation and then in delivery in the area of preaching. And I identify with Timothy in the Bible who was young. He was told, let no man despise thy youth. We don't know exactly how old he was, but we know that he had some level of youth. Yet he was the pastor or called the first bishop at Ephesus through historical references and through what we see Paul writing to him. It's evident he was the overseer of the church. And one of the things he was told by the apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And the preaching of the word of God may not be the most exciting thing to invite people to, but we believe it's the means that God has instituted by which we would learn the word of God and continue to be reminded of the things that we have already learned. When I was 11 years old, over 20 years ago, standing in this exact same spot behind a different pulpit, I preached the first sermon I ever preached. I think it was about eight or nine minutes long, but I, I made an outline where the points were alliterated and, you know, I was excited and did the best that I could. And throughout those years, having opportunities to preach, whether it's to the Sunday school class or to some children next door, or now on Sunday morning, every single week, we believe that it's not about me at all, but it's about the command that God gave to preach the word and for the church to receive the preaching of the word of God every single week on a week by week basis that we're found faithful to do what? To preach the word. That's what the calling is. I believe that what from what he told Timothy, we're not just supposed to preach about the word or even from the word, but that our preaching should be so in line with the word of God that it could accurately be said we are preaching the word itself. And obviously preaching is not just reading the verses and nothing else all throughout the Bible. We see the example, whether it's Ezra in the Old Testament or Paul in the New Testament, they read the Bible and then they explained it to the people. And they said, this is what the Bible is teaching. And I believe that God desires us as a church to be found faithful. Just keep going forward, keep preaching, teaching, and expositing the Bible itself. I've used the word expositional Bible preaching, or you could say expository. And when I say that, I don't believe that biblical preaching is simply one style of preaching, where it's always from one passage and it's alliterated and all those different types of things that you could be taught. I believe that we could preach a book of the Bible straight through. I believe that we could go to different passages on Sunday morning throughout the month as the Lord leads. I believe we could study a topic, but I believe that whatever verses we are looking at in the text, we should approach them 
in that expository manner. The word expository means has the root word has to do with expose and the way that it's used in the English. It simply means to explain. And when we preach the word of God, we are tasked with the task of explaining what it means. What does the Bible say? What is the text saying? That as a preacher, I don't just find an excuse to talk about my pet hobby horses or what I like to talk about, but rather look to the text itself and then labor to faithfully pull out of it what it is saying and preach that to us as a congregation. I don't believe that anyone is here this morning or is here on a week by week basis because they want to hear my opinions or my philosophies or what I think about things. I believe that you as a church are here because you want to hear the Bible preached and you want to know what does the word of God say. And I would hope that if I stopped preaching the Bible, that you would go somewhere else where there's a man who no doubt will be imperfect for all men are, but a good man who will faithfully labor week by week to preach the Bible, and the truths that are therein contained. To accurately preach the word, we strive to do a few different things. We preach the Bible in context. We stop and consider who is the writer? Who are they writing to? Does this apply directly to me? Or is this in a different application that I can learn from it by some examples? For instance, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus. They're giving a whole, given a whole bunch of ceremonial laws. Don't eat these kinds of animals. Don't eat fish. Don't wear shirts that are of a mixed fiber. All kinds of rules that we could talk all day about. But in the New Testament, the apostle Paul said specifically, those are not given to the church for all time to follow, but rather it was given to Israel for a temporary amount of time so that they would learn they can't keep the law of God perfectly, would learn that they're sinners and that they would need to be saved by faith, be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We could open the Bible randomly to a chapter in the book of Job and start preaching it. But if you get to the end of the book of Job, you'll find out that when his friends were talking, God came at the end and said they were talking a bunch of nonsense. Don't pay attention to what they were saying. It was wrong. It's all the word of God. It's all accurate. But sometimes the Bible accurately records someone speaking foolishly so that we may learn from their negative example. So in order to preach the word, we have to take it in context. What is preaching? I believe one of the best explanations I've heard of it is biblical preaching is explanation, illustration, an application. We explain what the text is saying. We give illustrations through stories and nature like Jesus gave parables, and then we try to apply it to our lives. We look at the words themselves and we give definition of the word using the dictionary, using the Greek and the Hebrew word that was behind it. And by the way, as I describe all of this, this is something that, that not only the preacher should do, but that hopefully in your life you can learn to employ as you study the word of God that you may study it for yourself to see what is it saying? What is the word of God trying to teach me? At this point, is the passage descriptive or is it prescriptive? 
In other words, the Bible sometimes describes what is going on, and other times it prescribes what we are supposed to do. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's God telling us that we are supposed to go to church faithfully. But when we read about David and Goliath, we're not necessarily learning, well, it's my job to go out and throw rocks at people and try to hit them in the head with it. You see what I'm saying? But if we're not careful... We can get our own opinions and philosophies and kind of know what we want to talk about and then just kind of find some verses that go along with what we want to say. And if we're not careful, we can misinterpret the word of God. I saw a clip of one preacher who was preaching and he read one verse from Isaiah or somewhere and it gave a passage and it said something about the blacksmith shall fasten the nails. And he read that verse and then he said, I'm not going to try and explain it to you because I don't know what it means. I just wanted to talk about some things we need to get nailed down. And so I found a verse that had the word nails in it. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about, where if we're not careful, we can simply use the Bible as an excuse for what we already want to say, rather than doing what the Bible calls laboring in the word and doctrine to make sure that what we're doing is the fancy words. They'll say it's called exegesis, meaning to go to the word of God and to pull out what it is saying rather than eisegesis where we lead into what it says, what we already want it to say. One man said when he was in college, he heard someone preach and he went to the book of Ezra where it talked about he preached from a pulpit of wood. And he, he preached an entire sermon about how some churches were going to glass pulpits or acrylic pulpits and how that wasn't true because the Bible says a pulpit of wood. And even if it would help get more people saved, if the pulpit was made out of glass instead of out of wood, we still should never have a glass pulpit because the Bible says a pulpit of wood. And what that is simply an example of is someone going off on a tangent when they're not really properly applying the teaching of that verse. The verse described he was standing behind something that was made of wood, but it wasn't a command that throughout all generations of the church, you have to stand behind a podium that's made of wood. An article was written one time through a website that claims to speak for independent Baptists, and the article was entitled, Why I Wear a Tie to Church. I'm wearing a tie this morning. A couple other people here are wearing a tie. That's fine. That's a good thing. But the man wrote an article about basically why it would be biblically wrong to not wear a tie to church. And he pointed to the text where it said that those who came into the marriage supper had their white garment on and the one did not have a white garment and he was taken and cast out. But what that story was talking about was the white robe was representing the righteousness that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, not through our righteousness by trying to look as good as we possibly can. I've, I've told this before, and I don't want to pile on one certain person, but it just came to my mind again this week but that there was a man who, who had a nationwide ministry and was teaching life principles and did a lot of good things and helped a lot of people. But a lot of the things he taught was heavy on the side of application of how do we take a principle from the Bible and then let's figure a way to apply it in every way possible. And the danger is if we do that, that we will end up making a list of rules 
that aren't necessarily in the Bible because we were trying to apply a biblical principle rather than simply interpreting the verse itself for what it says. And there was a church in the Fort Worth area who had a lot of people going to that church who followed his teachings. And the pastors of the church said that they they kind of saw what was going on and they were just patiently waiting and praying about it. But then those people started trying to spread these teachings to everyone in the church and were saying that whoever didn't do the teachings that didn't necessarily come from the Bible were wrong. So they wrote a position paper where they went step by step and came up with a lot of different teachings from this man that whether it was not eating pork or restrictions on marital relations based on certain times of the month, like the Old Testament or a number of different things, they just kept giving a lot of examples where when he approached a verse, the interpretation was not faithful and it was sort of being twisted a little bit to come up with a set of rules and then other people were being judged by those rules. And in their position paper, they made the statement that application without proper interpretation is simply imagination. In other words, and I'm, I'm using up all of my time and spending so much more preaching on this one message than I thought that I would, and I think we're going to have to wait till next week to, to finish it, but we're talking about being found faithful and being found faithful in what God has called us to do, and one of those things, first and foremost, he's called us to do is to preach the word. Y'all pray, uh, I got to go get my Bible rebound. I've had this one 16 years, and it's fallen apart, but I've got all my notes in it, so I'm going to try to get it fixed. And what I'm simply saying is that if we don't properly look to the text and the verse and properly figure out through God's help what it's actually teaching, then what are we doing? We're not even getting started if we don't start from the point of looking to the Bible itself and accurately saying without prejudice, without agenda, this is what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord, this is the word of God. And I believe there could be a danger in being so hyper-focused on application that, okay, we hear one sermon or we read one verse or one text and we pivot to, well, how can I apply this? Because if we're so heavy on how do we apply every single verse, we may end up coming with up with some applications or rules that aren't necessarily in the Bible. And yes, that may be fine for us to follow if that's what we believe God would have us to do. But those, our rules are not God's rules. So rather, I believe the first and foremost calling is to accurately interpret and explain and teach and preach what does this verse say, never twisting it to our own agenda. And if we do that faithfully day in and day out, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is more than capable of speaking to my heart and then to your heart and then to your heart about how to apply it and what he would have you to do with the truth of the word of God. Now, I haven't done any preaching up to this point except for beginning Wednesday, that is one entire book of the Bible, verse by verse. There's more that I'm praying about doing, that I may take Sunday morning in the days to come and go through an entire book of the Bible, line by line, verse by verse. And as I said, I believe there's a lot of different liberty there to have a lot of different freedom with the style. It's not just about one style. But 
if I did the math right, if we were to preach two entire chapters of the Bible every single week, if I were to say I'm going to preach a chapter Sunday morning and a chapter Wednesday night, it would take over 11 years to preach through the entire Bible. Not to mention that there's no way I could do a whole chapter any week because I can't even get into what I'm trying to get into this morning. But my point in saying that is simply to say I believe that there is more than enough Bible to preach till Jesus comes back. I don't think I have to preach my own opinions or politics or philosophies. I believe that if we stick faithful to what does the Bible say, that's what God has told us to do. And that is what he will bless. And what the Bible has to say will intersect with politics a lot of times. And we must have the courage to stand up and to preach the truth, no matter who likes it or who doesn't. But what I'm saying, the call is, is the call is to preach the word of God. I'm wrapping up here this morning, having spent a lot more time on this point. I hope that God is in it, in our call to us as a church this morning, to be reminded that what we're supposed to do and what we should be hungry for as a church is the preaching of the word of God. Paul Chapel, Pastor Paul Chapel from California said he attended a men's meeting one time when he was younger and the preacher got up and he started off and without hardly even reading a verse or maybe just reading one verse and then never came coming back to it. He said, what are we here for tonight? Preaching. What does America need? Preaching. What's going to save souls? Preaching. And he said for the better part of 45 minutes, he continued on and on simply along that same line. And he said, as I got in my car to drive home that night, my heart was broken because people were sitting in the pews who were hungry to hear the word of God. And he said the word preaching a whole lot, but he really didn't do any of it because he wasn't pointing to the Bible. Pastor Clarence Sexton from Tennessee pastor of Temple Baptist Church and uh, uh, over Crown College. Those of you who know Spencer Smith, that's where he went to Bible college. It was his trainer in the Lord. And Pastor Sexton gave testimony that when he was younger, he was learning how to preach. He was a teenager and his pastor out there in Tennessee said, sure, you can come borrow some of my books because he was trying to get ready to learn how to preach a sermon. And he wanted to have books to study and to have things to make sure he had enough to preach a sermon. And as he gathered those books and as he went to leave, he said that his pastor told him, remember, just always preach the Bible and you'll never run out of things to say. Yes, it's good to study. Yes, it's good to point to these stories that help us illustrate the truth of the word of God. But if we just preach the Bible itself, it will give us plenty of things to be focused on. And I want you as a church not to believe what I say because I said it, but I want you to believe the Bible and not me. The Apostle Paul in his missionary journey said that the Bereans were more noble than the people in the other towns where he had preached because it said as he proclaimed the word of God to them, they daily searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so. The Apostle Paul said, I don't want you just taking my word for it. But he knew that as they searched their Bibles by themselves, they would see evidence of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and that Paul was preaching the truth. And that should be the goal for each and every one of us, that we have some kind of a devotional life that throughout the week we're reading the Bible, we're studying the Bible so that when we hear the preaching of the word, we can compare it. And if the preacher ever starts to get off track and teach false doctrine, we could recognize it for ourselves. 
I'll close with this this morning. William Tyndale translated the Bible, the New Testament, into English from the Greek. And his work was amazing, for he worked on it by himself. And later, when they translated the King James Version, they kept around 80% of what he had translated because it was accurate and it was faithful to the Word of God. But in the 1500s, he was told by another priest of the Catholic Church, why are you translating the Bible into English? The Pope has forbidden for you to do that. And William Tyndale said, I care not for the Pope or for his laws, but by the grace of God, the day will come that the plowboy in England knows more about the Bible than he does. His point was, we need not to have a hierarchy or a Catholic church that we go to and only the priest tells us what the Bible means. But God wants us to have it in our language, given to the common man, so that we may search it ourself and know what the Bible has to say. I take great comfort in the fact that as we try to preach the word of God, it's not about me or how good I can do. Yes, I'll try to prepare. Yes, I'll try to do my best. Yes, I'll try to be ready. But I could look back over the last year and I could tell you right now about four different times that stick in my mind where I would say that was the worst sermon I preached. That was terrible. I didn't even know if they were going to come back after that. But I have to remind myself it's not about me or my delivery. It's about the truth that is contained in the word of God. And I trust this morning that you are here by faith. Not to hear me, but here to hear the Bible. And if I stumble over my words and if I don't do the best, so long as what I am laboring to do is to tell you this is what the Bible says, you can still profit off of that, whether I think I did a good job or not. Charles Spurgeon was speaking to preachers and he said, I have this comfort that even if I should not speak adequately, adequately upon my theme, the topic itself will speak to you. There is something, even in starting an appropriate subject, if a man speaks well upon a subject which has no practical importance, it is not well said that he should have spoken. As one of the ancients said, it is idle to speak much to the point upon a matter which itself is not to the point. Carve a cherry stone with the utmost skill, and at best it is but a cherry stone, while a diamond if badly cut, is still a precious stone. If the matter be of great weight, even if the man cannot speak up to his theme, yet to call attention to it is no vain thing. And as I began to preach every week, I took a lot of comfort in those words, in the fact that I can consider what Spurgeon was saying, what he was trying to get across, was if you take a piece of fool's gold and make it all pretty and frame it just right and put it on a ring, it's still just fool's gold. But if you take the real thing, even if it's a little rough around the edges, and even if you mess up a little bit, it still has infinite worth if it's pure gold. And if what we are striving to read, to study, to preach, to learn, to proclaim to others is the word of God, then even if our words don't come out just right, even if we stumble over what we were trying to say, we trust that God promised my word shall not return unto me void. And the Bible, the truth, and the Holy Spirit of God will accomplish the victory, even if we fail. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I feel like the message is so disjointed this morning. The only thing I can say to people is to judge it as a whole. Maybe when it's all done, look to week one, week two, and week three together. I do think we started out preaching a lot of the text and we'll end up with preaching a lot of the text next week. But this morning we spent a lot of time on the application part of it which is being found faithful. And as a church this year, what do we want to be found faithful doing? So many things I wanted to say that I didn't get to this morning, but one of them, Lord, as we get to next week, will be to consider that God did not care so much about quantity. He cared about quality. He cared not that one could grow two talents to four or five to ten, but rather that we simply do the best that we can. And I'm thankful for my father and for all who have preceded me in the ministry. And I'm glad that I don't have to try to feel pressure to reach the highest highs that they reached, but rather simply to do with what you've given me and for us as a church to do with what you've given us the right thing to be found faithful serving you. May you have mercy upon me and, and take this application of the scripture this morning and forgive me for not giving getting to more of the text and that next week as we look to conclude, hopefully it will all tie together. But Lord, as I'm using these weeks, I simply want to get the point across to our church. Let's be found faithful, not doing what we want to do, not our ideas, but faithful to do what the master has called us to do. We'll have the music play in a time of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. All right, we've got a couple minutes over today. Thank you all for being here. God bless you. Let me know if there's anything I can do for anyone, and we will see you next Sunday. God bless you. You're dismissed.